0: Hello and welcome to News You Can Use, brought to you by the Global Healthy Living Foundation, or GHLF. I'm Stephen Newmark, the Director of Policy here at GHLF, and I'll be your host as we take you through a very fun-filled journey in the world of health policy and how it helps and relates to patients like yourself. I'm joined, as always, by my colleagues Zoe Rothblatt and Corey
1: Greenblatt, or as we call them, the Blatt's. Corey and Zoe, you want to say a quick hello? Sure. Hey, everyone. It's Corey Greenblatt, Manager of Policy and Advocacy with GHLF. Happy to be here.
2: Hey everyone, it's Zoe Rothblatt, Patient Advocate and Community Outreach Manager with GHLF. Thanks for tuning in today.
0: Excellent. So let's take a look at what's happening in the news this week. First and foremost is this nagging question that's been around. Where did the coronavirus come from? Uh, late last week, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that the World Health Organization's report on the origins of the coronavirus, which concluded that the virus likely spread from bats to humans represents a, quote, partial and incomplete picture of the outbreak, and that outside experts should now have, quote, unfettered access to the data to do their own fact-finding. The director of the WHO also criticized the report, saying a theory that the virus leaked from a lab in the city of Wuhan denied by the Chinese government is unlikely, but deserves to be investigated. At-home testing. The FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, authorized two rapid antigen tests for COVID-19 that can be taken at home without a prescription. This could really help in the downplay of transmission of the virus as more folks are able to test and show reports of their testing as they enter uh, the public sphere, of course. The Affordable Care Act, remember that whole thing? Well, it's still going strong. In fact, uh, with the Biden administration promoting it much more heavily, about 528,000 people have signed up for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act during the Biden administration's special enrollment period, which opened February 15th and is set to close August 15th. Officials expect signups to continue to rise, given that millions of people became eligible this month for increased premium subsidies under the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. Uh, And some bad news... Models are predicting that vaccination will not be enough to stem the tide of the virus. Vaccines are definitely having a moment, but they may not be enough by themselves to quell the coronavirus pandemic. According to new research that models vaccination and public health measures in the United Kingdom, policies such as limiting gatherings and encouraging social distancing must be adopted and adhered to. Gradually, not suddenly, relaxing such control measures can dampen another surge of infections. And... Well, we'll leave it there for this week, just another week in the uh, world of pandemic media. Um, but one one issue I really wanted to highlight that's gaining a lot of attention is a discussion of something that, that folks are calling the vaccine passport, and as I understand it, um, and it depends you know, you could ask five different people what a vaccine passport is, and you might get five different definitions. But generally speaking, my understanding of of a quote-unquote vaccine passport is it is, of course, not an actual passport issued by a government agency. Number one, it is not linked to your government-issued passport, but it is essentially just proof and evidence that you have been vaccinated. And the idea is that going forward, you will be able to show this quote-unquote passport proving your vaccination in order to gain entrance in certain private businesses and potentially even certain public places, such as airports, in the future. So I wanted to ask, Zoe, uh, Do you, some some are saying that this is an intrusion on privacy, on medical privacy. How do you feel about that, Zoe?
2: That's a good question. Um, to me, medical privacy is about other people sharing your information. So if I have my own vaccine passport and I'm choosing to share it. It's not really an issue of privacy because that's that's me sharing my own protected health information. When we talk about protected health information it's usually about doctors sharing it with other doctors or sharing it with other family members and just outside parties from you the person who it's about. So for me it doesn't really feel like an issue of privacy in terms of health information where I feel like maybe some Privacy comes into play is with the app itself. Um, I know a lot of these are are digital. How does the app exactly work, and how do you make sure? I think I saw that in New York, you can what's called the Excelsior pass, you can load it on multiple devices, which makes sense because many of us do have more than one um, device. So let's say you're bringing your phone here, your computer, and you want to show it. I don't know. so, you have multiple devices, then how does that make sense that you know that let's say I'm not giving Corey my pass? How do you know that? It's just like, where does that sort of privacy and Well, wouldn't the idea be
0: that it would be attached to your name? It would say Zoe Rothblatt. And if you tried to use Corey's pass, it would have to be accompanied by some kind of uh, evidence that you are who you are in the passport. So Corey, one thing I don't understand about the passport, and maybe you could educate us, um, well, what exactly is the purpose of having a separate quote-unquote passport when folks who get vaccinated to get that card? Which couldn't the card itself be your passport? Couldn't you simply take a photo of it? And, and Zoe mentioned having multiple devices, but it's easy enough to take that same card and put it onto multiple devices. I don't quite grasp the concept of having a separate passport other than the code. Well,
1: well, sure. Let me start with, don't take a photo of your card and show it to people. You take a photo of it if you need to for backup, but first thing, don't advertise it. Don't take a photo and post it on social media because to kind of talk on something Zoe was talking about, there are actual parts of information on that card that should not be shared publicly and that you do want to keep private. So take a photo of it for your own records, but don't necessarily take a photo of that card to share it. Where I think the the vaccine passport goes on to kind of a step further than this is that it gives someone the ability to show something that doesn't have that private information on it, that has a publicly available information like what your name is or that you have been vaccinated. But beyond that, it's not sharing what your birthday is, where you live your social security number is or anything else kind of related to your your health and wellness the other thing that i kind of wanted to touch on a bit it talks a little bit about what you talked about with zoe but also something else is vaccine passports to an extent already exist if you try to go to countries in africa in south america you are forced to get a vaccine and to get proof of that vaccine in order to enter those countries i i'm not exactly sure which one's off the top of my head but i know for something like many countries in South Africa, you need to get dengue fever, yellow, yellow fever vaccines, and you get a yellow card that says you have been vaccinated, and it's issued, I believe, by the WHO. This type of information has been used for decades for people. I remember my parents telling me they need to get vaccinated in order to go to Africa for their honeymoon before I was born. So this is not something that's a new concept. But... I think what scares people from the idea of a vaccine passport in the United States is that there seems to be a carrot and the stick element to it. There seems to be that there is a worry that government is going to force people to get the vaccine and thus get a vaccine passport in order to participate in business, and they will do this by incentivizing businesses to require vaccine passports at the time of reservations or the time of of people showing up. And I think that's what really worries people is that this is going to be a type of government mandate that actually could exclude them from services and businesses because by forcing a health choice on them that has not actually been forced before. And that's really the difference between the yellow fever passports is that if you wanted to go to South Africa, you had to do that. That was your choice to do it, to go to South Africa. But if you did that, you needed the requirement to do it. Here, they're saying, if you want to participate in business, you need to do that. It's a bit more of a carrot and a stick element that I think is are scaring a lot of people.
0: Does the United States require vaccinations for anyone entering the United States?
1: To my knowledge, no, um, they don't require any vaccines for any kind of communicable diseases, but we do still in this country have vaccine mandates around public schools and things like that, where the government does require children to be vaccinated against certain things in order to participate in society.
0: Zoe, so, what about Corey's discussion about how it's it could be an interference of government into a private business? Why should a restaurant be in the business of verifying whether our public its customers have been vaccinated or not. If a private business wants to take on that, that's up to them, but should government really intercede? We don't do that with children. Children go to public schools. Those are schools, that's different, but the idea that government is telling a private business, a restaurant or a sports team, or or that in order to serve your customers, you're going to have to set up a system where you're checking their quote unquote vaccine passports yeah,
2: and if I'm correct here, we're talking about state governments because I think these passports have been primarily individually run by each state and not the federal government. Um, I see Corey's nodding. so for everyone listening, uh, it's been confirmed this is a state run initiative. And it's a good question. It's tough because I think that we need more guidelines into what these passports are doing and how they're being used. I honestly haven't really seen them in practice. I know that maybe they're being used for sort of bigger arenas right now, but I think that we need some sort of guidelines in order to understand when and how they should be used, because like you're saying, it's it's ripe for abuse. And we're still learning so much um, about how the vaccines work in the real world and how we want to go about re-entry. And, and I think that if states are are doing passports, we need Specific guidelines on how it's going to go and what people can expect.
0: Yeah, I think it's a little premature um, because it would almost be unfair to have vaccine passports. I know you mentioned New York has the Excelsior Pass, um, although it's um, not really, as I understand, it, it's not fully operational. Um, I actually read we could put it in our show notes an interesting article. Uh, a reporter from the Washington Post um, tried to use it the other day at Yankee Stadium, but ultimately it was it was all optional and it and it. He said it, there were a lot of um, a lot of bugs within the system. So even though it is up, technically up and running, it's not actually really operational. As, as I envision it, um, as I understand it, yes, it could be done by the state, but it could also be done by the federal government. The federal government may step in and, and say, in the form of the FAA or possibly the FCC, and say, hey, if you want to fly in the United States, there are, there's a new rule. You have to sh- show proof of vaccination or potentially a valid medical reason why you have not been vaccinated at some point in the future. Let me ask you a very important question from a public health standpoint. Would you be more willing to eat at a restaurant or travel on an airline that you where you knew every other person on that flight was vaccinated? Yes.
2: Yes. Although right now, I feel like it's a little premature to be requiring that because I know states are opening up eligibility and it's really rolling out fast in the past few weeks, but there's still many people not eligible. So it's creating a barrier before people have access. So I think that that's something I'd like to see in a little bit once more states open up and that would make me feel comfortable.
0: Yeah, incidentally, on, on when it comes to flights, um, I, I've not flown, but I, I know from people who do fly, I thought that you were required to show a proof of a negative test within a certain amount of hours before, the, before you took off, but I may be wrong about that. I don't know if either of you two are aware of that. I'm not sure,
2: yeah, okay. I too have not flown either.
0: well, I also do know that some sporting uh teams um and it's t- I, as i understand again, it's team by team require proof of negative uh a negative mm-hmm. test before entering an arena um mm-hmm. so that's something to consider but again that's private private industry bottom line question if there was uh you know before we before we move on from the topic, what do you think of the name vaccine passport? Um, what, what is that what does that what does that conjure up to you, Corey? Passport?
1: I mean, yeah. I am supportive of it because again, I spoke about the the yellow fever vaccine card that people used to always have to have as proof in order to travel to many countries. That was simply called a yellow card for much of much of kind of history that it's been around. And I think kind of having a vaccine passport, there's a broader term, it's a broader term that could actually be inclusive and used for throughout kind of moving forward in history, because this is not going to be the last pandemic that we deal with as human beings. It's just, that's a fact of nature. We're not, we're going to deal with other types of Viruses that are going to maybe not cause this. I'm ready. I've, of got a lot of pasta. Yeah. I've got cans of beans. I'm ready for the next. Perfect. One. You got lots of books behind you to read, too. I see. Yeah. So no problem. I read the, you're this good. Book. I'll get new ones for the pandemic. <laughs> Here we go. um So, yeah, this will not be the last one that we deal with in our lifetime. It might not be to this scale where it shuts down the government, but. There will be another viral outbreak moving forward at some point in the next 80 to 100 years. And having something that we start to term as a vaccine passport that we can actually start to use to include these types of things like yellow fever vaccines, like coronavirus vaccines, it could actually have an applicable use moving forward. I think right now there's just a lot of confusion over what is it and is it actually like, yeah, what is it? But doesn't the
0: idea, Zoe, of a passport sort of conjure up uh, um, in in your mind something that is government-issued, and whereas a yellow card, although it has a negative connotation in in soccer, but the idea of a card doesn't quite have that negative connotation quite so much. Uh, And I shouldn't say negative connotation. It's more just um, the imprimatur that government is blessing something. It sounds almost... um, a scarier and, you know, a big intrusive government coming in. Do you think that the name itself, Passport, could impede the use of such, uh, such a, a valuable tool for public health?
2: It's an interesting point and one that I hadn't considered before. When I was thinking about passport, I liked it. It's a word people are familiar with. I mean, we're all in healthcare here. We know how many acronyms and terms there are and how confusing it could be. So I like that it was just a basic word that we understand as a ticket to get places. And card for me doesn't give that same meaning. When I think of card, I think of a note that I'm giving someone um, on my own choice to wish them something nice, not a ticket that's getting me somewhere. And and passport feels like it, it is that self-explanatory. It's an interesting thing to think about, is government involved in this? And I think it comes from a place of privilege that I don't think of the word passport as so so loaded with government involved in it and i definitely want to noodle on that and think about how it affects marginalized groups
0: great well we're going to take a pause there and hear a little snippet from one of our fellow ghlf podcasts um i think you'll really enjoy listening to this little snippet we've got for you
1: what you'll hear today
0: are real stories from real people people that have had real experiences with gout
1: but remember everyone's health is unique No two stories are the same. If you or someone else you love has gout, go to www.thegoutshow.com where you can get help for your situation.
3: Hi, I'm Ashley Newton. I'm 36 years old. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm married to my husband and we have two kids who are 11 and 14. So I was diagnosed with gout in February of 2016. I had noticed pain in my knee that got worse when I was running. But very quickly it got to a point where the pain didn't happen only while i ran um, i noticed the pain while i was sitting or you know doing chores at home and seemingly overnight um it got to where i could not bend my knee or my ankle i went into the orthopedic surgeon for what i thought was a really simple running injury uh, with a simple treatment and instead they diagnosed me with um, gout and other you know chronic conditions and um they really snowballed. So I felt like they were able to identify one chronic condition and before I knew it, there were several that all required treatment. I was 32 years old at the time and I was an active runner and I was in in reasonably good health. It was so uncommon for me to hear about younger women being diagnosed with gout. Most of what I hear about gout, um, I hear about pain in in the big toe. And so I was surprised actually to hear that I did have gout because I wasn't experiencing pain in my big toe at all at that point.
0: And we're back. Thanks for listening. We hope that you'll subscribe to GHLF News You Can Use. Uh, You could always find us at ghlf.org. And for those of you who are members of our 50-state network, you will receive your weekly email every Friday, and that will include a link to our show. And thanks, as always, for joining us. Corey, Zoe, another pleasure.
2: Thanks, everyone. Pleasure, as always.
0: Have a good one.